Welcome to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, with your host, Vanessa. On this podcast, we talk about who your coach is when the name tag comes off. What makes this coach tick? How did they get started? And what kept them going? What coach inspired them? Do they have any passions outside of coaching? And most importantly, what do they want their legacy to be? Tune in to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. Welcome back to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, Why Coaches Are Humans Too. On this podcast, we interview coaches across the nation to find out who they truly are and what makes them tick. And today we have on Vernon from Arizona. How are you doing today, Vernon? Doing great, Vanessa. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, it's Friday. The weather looks a little gloomy outside, but I got a big pot of coffee next to me, so I can't be better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, TGIF, and it's uh, about 100 degrees in Arizona and sunny, so... Oh, no. I keep waiting for our next cold front. I mean, give me at least, like, an afternoon of (laughs) 70 degrees. Like, give me a break. Oh, man. Too different. Much different out here, for sure. Yeah, I know. Um, Vernon, do you like to listen to podcasts? Do you listen to them on a regular basis? So funny story. I, I got into audiobooks last year, um, and I got into a couple that really impacted me. Um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, the yes. ex-Navy SEAL, and Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron. Uh, he's got two of the CrossFit national champions, international champions, actually. Um, and I actually have some friends that do podcasts that would ask me to speak on, so it's it's interesting. It hasn't been something I've done a ton, but audiobooks fit my lifestyle and kind of the ability to learn as I go. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in getting more uh, more content and more involved with podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're pretty much the same if you think about it. I mean, I think that one of the best things about podcasts is that you can sit at the table with anyone you want, whether it's like Obama or like sitting having hanging out with david goggins or whatever else and you get to like have coffee with anyone you like and and learn from them so that's why they're my favorite too i appreciate that i think it's definitely a a new thing but it's something that i think a lot of people are getting the same benefits that you just spoke on i think it's important to yeah expand our minds and i think in this age of goal and do Having something that can go with you and, and kind of a different set of senses to take it in also helps learn and remember things. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that especially with athletes, for instance, um, we're kind of high operating individuals that like to think three to four steps ahead. So I think sometimes for me it's hard to read because I'm thinking about – I'm actually processing while I'm reading. So exactly. I, my mind goes off and call it ADD, call it, call it ADHD, whatever you want – but I love like notating my books um, and I have to read a page like a thousand times before I comprehend like what I'm reading. Um, so actually listening to podcasts, are, it's a lot more um, being an auditory and a kinesthetic learner is just so much more of an enjoyable experience for me. I still love books, but it's still it's just more of an experience. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely felt myself being able to work and multitask and listen and then I could stop and take a note. Right. And get back on it and just take it in. So I, I like that platform, and yeah, it, it's a it's a great use of time. I think. Uh, is this the first podcast you've been on before, or have you been on others? 
is actually the first one. Oh. So it's funny because last week, a month ago, a friend of mine who does a national one, he was, we were going to link up, and then he had, he actually had a trip out here to the Grand Canyon. Uh-huh. So we had to change our date and actually talk to uh, Jason Stella about the one he's doing and getting involved with that one. So, but this is my first official opportunity. Yes, so <laughs> I beat everybody. Okay, well, I feel good about that. <laughs> Okay, so um, that makes sense. So um, do you have a favorite excerpt from any of your audio books that kind of stuck with you? I know David Goggins is really good with those, like, one-liners. Is there anything that kind of sticks with you from Ben or David? It's funny because those two both hit on this note. That's what I believe in. It was the idea of consistency of character, no matter what the odds are. Uh-huh. Uh, being, being who you're supposed to be and who you're capable of being and not letting outside influences impact you, but the consistency of character, I think they both hit on, and it really uh, speaks to just what we're going through now as a country, as a world, with COVID and everything else that's happening, not letting things you can't control knock you off course. Yeah, I think that that's, that's so interesting to see people's character um, kind of come come out with all the challenge like you're talking about. Can you kind of maybe go through something that you've been um, experiencing where that played that played into your life? Uh, one of the big ones for me was working in the NFL, and one of the things we have in our contracts is that when a new coaching staff comes in, you can be released from your contract, meaning your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of your performance. So you can be moved on just because they have someone they want to bring in. And that's pretty consistent across all 32 teams. So it's, it's if a team changes staffs at the top, that person can make the changes below regardless of your performance. Yeah, And that's tough because in the everyday world, that usually isn't how things work. If you're performing well, you're going to have an opportunity to, you know, state your case at least. And so... Being able, the first time I went through that uh, was early in my earlier in my career. Yeah, and it was something new to me because I had never been in that situation before. And learning how to navigate that was a, an example of, hey, do the right thing, even if you feel like something's been done to you that isn't the right right thing. Right. Yeah, I feel that. But, Vernon, where were you born and raised? I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, okay. Northeast Florida, just south of Georgia. Okay, something I feel like something that's kind of special is you know I'm from Austin, so it's not far down the road. But every time that that you know we get a little bit of cold air or something, it always kind of brings me back to uh, my my soccer days. That change in seasons always reminds me of something. Is there something that reminds you of home, like a smell or something you hear? That's a great question because. When I moved to the West, the first place I moved was Colorado before I got to California and right. Arizona. And living in Colorado, there weren't the mosquitoes and the ants and the flies <laughs> and that. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do myself. I was like, you can be outside and not be alive. <laughs> so the, the muggy air of Florida, any, anywhere I go, like when we, are, we travel with the Cardinals recently, uh, we go to a state that has the mugginess. It's like, oh, yeah, this is like what I grew up in. Isn't that, that's, I think that's so interesting. I think I heard that before that, um, your sense of smell can trigger memories that happen like all the way back to childhood. Like it's like one of the, one of the first triggers. That's so interesting. Uh, so I know, so you've touched on it a little bit. I know you've lived in quite a few places through your coaching career. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into coaching and a little bit of a timeline um, leading up to your lifetime. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's funny because I went to school 
uh, not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do, but I had a opportunity with AT&T to do uh, internships in between, you know, every summer in between semesters. So I was on a track to be an information systems uh, business software <laughs> degree. That's right. Which, looking back at it, that was not going to be something <laughs> I was going to do, even though it was understandable. It just wasn't passionate. So being on campus and starting working out as a freshman and then a friend of mine was in the gym, blah, blah, blah. Got going there, switched my major to health science, exercise science. Started working on campus and being able to actually work with uh, people, you know, uh, teachers and professors and, and students, and see the, the difference that helping someone exercise made in their lives really impacted me early. And then I had an opportunity to become a strength and conditioning coach uh, after I graduated college. And I at first didn't know a ton about it. Was able to shadow someone got the necessary certifications, and then within a few months of getting my CSCS, a donor gave money to start a program at our university because it was a D2 school and there was no budget for that type of stuff, so it was brand new. Mm -hmm. And she, her, her story is unique too because she would go to Dartmouth and train when it was hot in Florida and then come back to Florida when it cooled off. So mm -hmm. she had been around Division One athletics and knew what it was supposed to look like and knew that our program didn't look like that, right? Right. So, that's a starting point, and then I was able to really just take advantage of great opportunities, meet people, uh, try to be humble about learning and growing. And then uh, my first job was my alma mater. I was also able to work with the Jacksonville Jaguars the last two years of that job, which really helped just broaden my horizons and, and just kind of fast-track my career. Left there, went to the University of Colorado for four years, and had a great time there, had some really good programs worked with, and then got a shot to be full-time in the NFL with the San Diego Chargers. That was a six-year appointment. We had some good teams there. And that's kind of where things started changing because at that point when I left there, it had been 14 years of strength and conditioning and kind of always stepping to the next job, the next level. So that was the first time I had an opportunity to step back, and then that's where you start looking at, okay, who are you, what are you about, and do you bring that with you everywhere you go? Right. Um, a year out of full-time coaching, a year with the Raiders in 2014, changed teams as that organization was in transition and that was my first time working multiple years in the in the private sector so i was in the bay area working for club sport which is now the bay club but got an opportunity to work there and work personal training specifically and uh actually that's where jason stella who's also with lifetime and i met he was our regional director for about a year and so that's how i reconnected with him out here so i moved to arizona corporate arizona cardinals in two seasons, we had two different head coaches, and I had a two-year contract, and when it was over, you know, it was time to move on. So my family, I like it here. There's a lot of, I, after living all around the country, there's a lot of advantages to Arizona. And, you know, I reached out to Jason to see what he knew, and lo and behold, he said, hey, there's a new one being built. It's a diamond level club. I think you'd be perfect for it. You should check it out. And so got involved in that way. And Lifetime had a brand that really he helped educate us about because he was trying to change the uh, the club sport that I was working at into very similar, very similar lifetime. We had a similar foot pad, similar clientele, similar structures around there about seven different facilities. So he was actually trying to bring a lot of the lifetime quality of service, uh, resources, and just the way we do business into that. So I already had an exposure to it, and I didn't know it would come in handy later, but that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now, Biltmore. That's so, it's so interesting to me because I'm sure, 
um, maybe or maybe not. That's one of the first questions I'm sure after you know talking with you, um, in the in the most respectful way, I was like, okay, so you've worked for the NFL. <laughs> Why are you a lifetime? <laughs> you know, like it's you know, how did that switch happen? So it's such an interesting way that um, you know life flows into that. But I'm sure that you know once people do kind of hear your background and the athletic caliber that you've been able to work with i'm sure there's a lot of false assumptions that come along with that so like what's one false assumption that you've been running into um that people have about you with your previous experience i don't think if they find out that i work with nfl players they assume that means i can't work with someone who's not a professional athlete and the reality is it's, it's the exact opposite the fact that I've worked at the higher end of the spectrum, and I've also worked with a ton of other kinds of people, but that higher end of the spectrum, you have to be so educated and so understanding how the body works. And a, a, million, a, a micro mistake can mean millions of dollars. So knowing your stuff and being able to adjust it as needed is a huge part of what we did. Right. So when I work with someone who's, say, a beginner, or someone who's coming off of a surgery, or someone, you know, whatever, all the situations of people we come about, someone who wants to lose body fat, that's so much easier is the best word I'll use than compared to trying to take someone who's at the top of the chart and make them better. Right. That is actually easier to work with the everyday population, but I think people get intimidated because they assume that if, you know, I'm going to do too hard for them or something that, you know, they don't think I can, can simplify for them, but I can. So that's probably the biggest thing. What would you think that people wouldn't really make the connections between professional athletes and general pop? Like, what is something in common that they both have that they wouldn't think about? Yeah, the primary thing I'd say is a great question, is that we all have what we call fundamental movement, meaning our body was all designed to work a certain way, all our joints are connected and they have their certain ranges of motion and so there are even standards on those things range of motion degrees of motion and everyone's body was designed you know unless you have some kind of tra tragic um accident to work mm -hmm. a certain way so when we're working on whether it's a pro athlete you know running a route or an everyday person who's trying to change their body fundamental movement is the connecting factor uh, of how i train anybody the issue just is how efficient are they at that fundamental movement. If they're really efficient, they're probably going to be a high-achieving person physically. If they need to be more efficient, that's where we're going to start. So even though that person is a football player, they're also a human just like you are. So they right. have you know, a, st a starting point that's similar. I love that you just said that because um, – you know, that's exactly where mine go, my mind goes whenever I'm working with someone new is I try to make them, make them understand that everybody's kind of an athlete of life. So depending on, you know, how active or inactive you are, we just got to move you and figure out, let, let, let's move well before we move often and then kind of execute that way. But I think there's, there, there's, I forget, I feel like it's a child's book. Um, but I think it's called Everybody Poops. <laughs> so it's yep, like, yep, I yep. mean, it's really, it's about humanizing each other and, and figuring out how to humanize the, the experience that they're going through so that you can build trust with people. Um, and whenever we were going into this kind of like COVID uh, new lifestyle, um, you know, I have only ever really done in-person in training. I've never taken the online route and that so that kind of scared me that it felt like 
there might be a threat towards in-person training. It might die. Like, it might just completely eventually disappear. Um, so if I were to give you that scenario, um, let's say that in-person, you know, training did completely disappear. How do you feel like you would have connect and built trust uh, with online clients just as good as you did in person when a lot of people don't really take the time to figure out like, okay, all, he has all these letters after his name. Okay, he worked with the NFL, but how is he supposed to kind of help with me? I think it's a great question. I think that the first part is just, and thanks for I do this in person and it can be done remotely, is I do an assessment of people, just like I just talked about with fundamental movement. I do an assessment that can actually be done on their own and they can video it and that helps me see how they move and right. so right away it makes them, you know, you think of cognition and awareness being connected. Once they're aware of what I'm looking for and what I see and then they start feeling those same things, oh, I do rotate my knee in or I do roll my shoulder forward. Um, that assessment is eye-opening. Mm -hmm. It also is educational. Right. And the other part of it is the quality. There's a lot of stuff. If you're on Instagram, you see it. There's a lot of stuff out there that's just stuff and doesn't have any substance to it. Right. So having the ability to not only explain something efficiently and, and in a common denominator type style so everybody can understand it, but yeah. also making sure it's something that has a lot of carryover to their lives. Um, there's a lot of cookie cutter out there, but most people respond when something's done directly for them. So my assessment process follow with the way I program uh, and being able to show that to somebody visually through educational videos and just this, the whole process. That is my main thing is that, hey, I'm going to teach you something you don't already know that you can't find this information anywhere else right. or, you know, easily. And, and so that's going to be the separation between me and somebody doing, I don't know, whatever they're doing that anybody else is doing. Yeah, I think that that's important for if anybody is listening that is a potential client or a member or something like that. Um, character speaks for itself and I feel like if somebody were to approach the online business you need to understand that yeah maybe the flashy stuff might bring somebody in but actually taking the time and not doing the cookie cutter approach and listening to the individual that's in front of you they're going to be able to sniff out what's properly personalized and what's kind of copy and pasted so it's definitely you know follow through with having good you know, values and character whenever you're actually doing your work. Um, I want to get a little bit more personal with you. I know you have kiddos. What are their names yes. and ages? Uh, and what's one thing that your children have taught you? Uh, yeah, so they have three children. Um, Aiden is 12 and a half. <laughs> Dakota, my daughter, is 10, almost 11. And Asher, our little runt, is three and a half. If there's anything they've taught me, it's probably patience. And <laughs> ironically, I read a book last year, another audio book. I read a book. I listened to a book, um, No Drama Discipline, and it talked about, um, <laughs> you know, really got into how the idea of discipline is discipleship. And they had this 10 question checklist at the beginning, and they referred back to it. And the one thing that really hit me in the eye every time was okay, is your style of discipline working? are your children learning the lesson that you're trying to teach them? And it was a great question. It was like, if the answer is no, then you need to have a different form of discipline. So I know for me, the patients, you know, you live with someone every day, you get, things get old, and you think, hey, they're so young in their development, their brain's gonna be developing until they're 26. 
So gotta hold out and work. You just gotta figure out a way to make it work, right? Right. Patience yeah. is a patience is a takeaway for me as a parent that I need to have better patience with them for sure. I think that it's that's interesting that you say that because immediately what I think about is our education system. Um, because you know, especially with being an athlete, you kind of look at how you deliver something to an athlete and you're like, okay, we'll try this and see if that helps with your pass or whatever, or touch it like this or turn your small, like small micro movements will be make all the difference. Well, the same kind of thing is with education. If something's not sitting on somebody's brain, it might be the word choice or it might be, okay, they don't comprehend, um, you know, auditorily they 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 are much better kinesthetic learners which is obviously why you know I definitely have a big passion for training because of that because it was so much easier to recall information when it had my my body involved and I could and I could study humans and I could be like oh I can apply what I just learned from my book to a person moving like that's intriguing like that was super mentally stimulating and there's never any like loss of interest because everybody's body moves so differently and they've all had different chemical you know makeups and they're all like little chemistry sets inside and so there's so many variables that it's like a never-ending uh like little puzzle to figure out I love that um and speaking of puzzles that are kind of fun and like playful I think it's always really important to include things that make us laugh more and kind of remind us to be a little bit more childlike in nature because children are so good about that. How do you like to play? So great question. I definitely say with the kids, at least each one's a little different. So my youngest is super physical and he wants to just be of life, the party. So we wrestle with him. Uh, My daughter is really artistic. And so ironically, I have some that in me too. So um, maybe it's not ironic, but <laughs> we dance, and when she was a little younger, we do these rhymes, and she we'd be on the same beat, and she just like eat it up. It's really fun. <laughs> uh, my oldest, we've done some sports together over the years, um, and now we try to like when I was a kid, I was a GI Joe fan. For those of you who are older, um, so my son is into different things now, but we try to connect. It's cool though that the um, with him. The Marvel movies are the same characters that were there 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So right. when all those movies came out, that was something that was fun that I could see him having fun with something 30 years after I had fun with the same thing because they did such a good job with those. So with the kids, each thing is a little different. Um, me personally, definitely uh, cooking is my hobby and it, it just is something that I embraced about 15, 20 years ago and I just have stayed with it and it's just. So you learn a lot. It's just the details of it are fun, and obviously you eat it, right? So that's fun for me. <laughs> I, us, like, us trainers, man, I tell you, like, you got to get through our heart through our stomach. <laughs> we, well, like, exactly. we train to eat. <laughs> what's, exactly. one of your, what's one of your favorite things to cook or eat? So it's funny. When I started cooking, Emeril Lagasse was who I learned from off television, believe it or not. And so he cooks gumbo. He's so famous for the Cajun uh, stuff. So, so. When I would go to a Super Bowl party or whatever like that, I would start bringing a pot of gumbo, and it was always a hit. Yeah. That's something I really love making. I like the details of it, the steps, kind of like building a program. Um, yeah. The thought process. There's, there's so much to it, but the end result is just a bowl of, you know, yumminess. So <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to build. Uh, yeah, I'd say gumbo would be a good one. I feel like there's a piece in the process because there's nothing like – 
that's interesting that you bring that up because I never really made that connection. Um, in my kitchen, I just love like kind of getting lost in music and senses and smells. And then the same kind of process happens with me. Call it flow state or call it whatever you want. But I'll start zoning out when I'm programming because I'll literally image the uh, the individual in my head moving and how they move. And then that's how I kind of design my program too is I'll like kind of get lost in the moment. Um, but how did you – did you ever notice like that you got picked up, picked up cooking skills from anyone in your family or kind of where did that passion come from? Oh, definitely. Um, growing up, my mom – which is funny because she worked – as a yard nurse, she wasn't around a ton as a kid because uh, she worked. You know, back then they worked twelve-hour shifts and stuff like that. And so, but I did learn how to cook a few things from her as a kid, and that stayed with me. And you just think about sustainability, right? So, having those in my back pocket were always available. The things I learned from her—that was the first person I'd say made a difference with just paying attention. And my dad, and my grandma were around, so they cooked too. But I think my mom would be the first influence in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what's one of your favorite dishes that she liked to make? Growing up, there's two. First off, her collard greens, which is a southern <laughs> staple, were big because she's a nurse, so she tried to make them healthier. So yeah. instead of the pig fat, she'd use vegetables and vinegar and garlic and stuff like that to make it taste good. And So when I eat someone else's greens, I actually don't like them as much because I grew up on hers for so many years. Um, they just don't hit right. That's no, it's just, it's just different. <laughs> so the flavor is so different. She made beef ribs. She would boil them and then put them in the oven. And oh. It's rare to find a beef rib, but a good beef rib to me is so different than the pork ribs. I know. So those two things stand out. You were in Colorado for a moment, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's so funny. So being from Texas, right? Okay, we don't like we don't mess around with some barbecue. So we take our barbecue very seriously. And I still remember there was this place that was called Texas Barbecue in Colorado. And I was like, Oh, no. So I try, I try, <laughs> I tried it, and it just wasn't good. I was like, Colorado, y'all need to learn how to just channel whatever you're good at and stay stay in your lane. Um, for sure. What yeah, would you Colorado say? Some good Mexican food, but that, yeah, I would not say barbecue was big there. Yeah, they're okay, and especially like New New Mexico definitely has their hatch chilies down for sure. But um, sure. what do you feel like is the best place you've ever had gumbo? Would it be your mom oh, okay. or somewhere else? No, my wife and I took a trip about three summers ago to to uh, New Orleans, and we had we literally had like a food eating tour. We had all these places picked out that we wanted to try. And Commander's Palace, which is famous for a lot of reasons, but actually where Emer- the first place that Emeril Lagasse was a uh, head chef, and now you have like 15 or 20 restaurants. But So the gumbo there was great, and it was, you know, two parts of gumbo that are really important are the roux, which is kind of the thickening agent, and then the, bro- the uh, not the broth. Um, I'm losing my mind here. What is the... The stock, I'm sorry. So the stock and the and the roux make a gumbo. After that, anything you put in it works. So there is the best seafood flavor I've ever had in mm. a roux. And it was a semi-thick, small soup bowl, but the flavor was so intense. I, I've never had it that good anywhere, anywhere close. It was so good. So Dang whatever it. they did there was amazing. Okay, we gotta stop talking about food because I'm like, I'm uh, my stomach, uh, <laughs> my mouth is like watering right now. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to visit New Orleans because I've always had a really special place in my heart for like 
jazz, soul music, um, just their culture in general. Um, I always think that between food and music, they're like two of the most universal languages that everybody can talk and connect over. Where do you feel like, uh, where, what's your music style? Like what, what music really speaks to you? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I'm a huge R&B fan. And so probably 60s through early 2000s, that whole, anything in that uh, realm when it comes to R&B, I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Lately, not so much. Yeah. I also really like 80s one-hit wonders, though, because when I, when <laughs> I was a kid, I'm, da- I'm dating myself, but when I was a kid, MTV and the music, and then VH1 and then BET, those three stations. When they actually showed there. videos? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's when cable first came big where I lived, and those were the three stations, besides Nickelodeon, that yeah. were always on. So you're a third grader, fourth grader stuck at home, in the summer with not a ton to do, but there was always something on those stations. I just think that 80s music is it's not even, it's very subconscious, I think, because <laughs> I don't have, like I necessarily have a million memories as much as it's like, it just takes me back to that, you know, that more time of life where you're carefree and don't have a whole lot going on for me. Yes. So 80s one hit wonders always hit for me, no matter what. I was just telling my dad that the other day. I was like, dad, it seems like whenever you would ask somebody, hey, what's your favorite band? They would always have an answer back in the day or like even a favorite show. It, there wasn't as much selection. And so now exactly. it's like I have no idea who that band is or that show is. And even as you said that, I can like picture MTV and BET and like um, all of the music channels, like having the good music music videos yeah. up. And you would always be excited about um, seeing whose video came out and stuff. Do you have a favorite song um that you can kind of recall that meant a lot to you you know i have an artist so i I would say this um there's some artists i do listen to almost weekly or daily because they just want to relax or just catch my breath uh sade is a was the 80s crooner who lasted about 20 years and put a lot of great music out but she uh she has a lot of songs that stand out, but one of them is this song called Feel No Pain. Mm-hmm. A very, very unique song um, because it's, it's talking about how hard life is, mm-hmm. but it's got this jazzy background. She's got this very unique voice, and uh, it's like it's, you're listening to this song about something that's difficult, but it's so enchanting just the way that it's put together, the way her voice sounds, the music composition, just the whole thing. It's just like it's, it's, it's really, for me, classic in that it always sounds good. Like no matter what I'm doing, if, if I was to hear that on the radio, I would just leave it because it just, it just does it. So yeah, Friday is one of my favorites. That's so that's, you know what, that's why I love music because it's such an art artistic expression. And there's some notes that just literally hit your body. Right. I forget which, sure. which movie it was, but they were talking about the, the frequencies or like the bases or whatever actually penetrates your body and people will connect to certain frequencies, which obviously as a physiological standpoint, I'm like so intrigued by, but the, um, but Chris Stapleton does that for me. His like okay. his his soul, like when he when he's just singing out of his soul, is like those those artists for me are like okay, like this man has lived something and he has a story to tell, and you just kind of stop and you just get kind of emotional about it. But it's it what's nice and what's human about it is that you connect with it. You're like he's making me feel something through just 
just notes, not even words, but just notes. It can like evoke so many emotions. I think that's so intriguing. Um, now we wear many hats as a trainers and one, one of them is being a great listener. You know, sometimes we're therapists more than we're trainers. Um, but you know, there's some things that whenever people are, you know, kind of chatting about their day or opening up about their lives, uh, there's some topics that I feel like our ears kind of perk up a little bit more than others. What, what's one thing that you love hearing about when you're training somebody? Yeah, I think the, the one that stands out for me the most would be just how their, their life is positively impacting somebody else's. Mm-hmm. There's those stories about um, the time they spend away from the little bit of time we get together and what they're doing that is affording the cause, so to speak. Um, everybody has their their sphere of influence and people that they impact. And hearing someone's ability to care for, empathize, or encourage, empower someone else in that sphere is very interesting to me. Uh, as a trainer, as a coach, as a parent, as a husband, I think all those things are what we want to do too. And so when you hear from someone that you're working with, it's, it's very inspiring and it's, it's a common ground kind of thing. Yeah, I think that... Um you know, being a human, you would like to believe that you have a purpose or a why, you know, you would like to think that you were placed on this earth for a reason. And so when you, when I get to hear those stories too, like I'm like, or, or you help them realize their potential and, and you, there might be a little fear with that, but you want to make sure that people understand, like you have a lot of potential, untapped potential that if you just believed in yourself or you stop limiting yourself, um, yes. self-sabotaging yourself, like all the sorts of things. When you start peeling back those layers and people start really having those light bulb moments or those connecting moments or those breakthroughs, you're just kind of like, see, like that for me is like the most rewarding stuff. Yeah, the physicality stuff, the performance, yeah, the weight loss, sure, but it's the moments that people literally come into themselves and really tap into their potential is like that. that's, you know, I mean, I have no words sometimes when I see that. It's so nice. Um, for sure, for sure. So as a helper and as a healer, we usually have a hard time asking for help ourselves. I know I definitely do. What do you feel like um, you can ask for help with? Is it is it still hard for you, or do you have kind of some people that are go-tos? Uh, yeah, I have some people who I might consider friends and mentors and people who I trust, uh, for really important things in life or just some daily connection. Um, I, I will say I'm not the kind of person typically who, I don't like that. I think I was raised in a way where, um, I don't even say showing weakness because that's not the right word, where it just, you had stuff that was hard and you had to go deal with it. So I don't, <laughs> I, I haven't been the kind of person to be honest that I, I wanna always share with people um, if I'm going through something, however, I do have a, a few mentors in my life who I keep in touch with and who I can, who I do trust to tell anything and not have any issues. Um, you know, being able to trust they have my best interest in mind and that they are not going to weaponize it or they're going to just be able to, you know, be a good counsel. So I have a few people like that for sure. Right. Can you um, expand on that? Because I would love to hear maybe one of the latest lessons that you learned from one of your mentors. You know, when I my first opportunity to work for the Jaguars, um, 2001, and when I walked into the weight room for my first time to meet uh, this coach and, and, and discuss, 
he had a, a verse on the wall and it was Ecclesiastes 3.23 and it talked about whatever you do with your hands, do it with all your might. And the verse goes on to say, as if you're working for God, not for man. But, but to be in an NFL weight room and to see that and to know not only that, that he 100% believes that, but also to know that he was able to share that in such a big, I mean, it's a huge, almost like a mural or banner way up on the, on the high up on the wall. Uh, and so for me, um, he's been a consistent person for uh, almost 20 years now. And the lessons, you know, we daily actually share some devotional time. And, and the thing that stands out for me is being that consistent person, um, commitment and character, right, over emotion in the way, not to say that emotion's bad, but not letting your commitment waver. Um, being your yes, being your yes, your no, being your no. So I think that kind of mindset and kind of encouraging that mindset to stay grounded, stay humble, uh, is is something that I carry with me daily because it helps with everything. Uh, there's nothing I deal with that that doesn't help me with. So I say um, those words of advice on a consistent basis are very helpful for me. And your mentor, I mean, your mentor is someone special, right? I mean, he's had tons of achievements. Yes. Has he shared with you as well, like, what what has kept him in that type of mindset and framework? Like, maybe he has a a mentor himself. Has he ever shared that with you? you I don't know who his mentor is outside of the fact that he worked – Two of his best, three, I'm sorry, three of his biggest jobs. He worked for the same head coach, and that head coach was a grinder and a hard line guy. But he was consistent in that the the quality expected of everybody else. He displayed himself, and I know that was something that really impacted him because they're not the same person at all. Right. But he definitely like if you're gonna work for somebody, you know where you're getting. So I think that goes back to that that consistency of character. Right. You know what you're getting. You know he's going to be hard on you because he wants the best out of you, because he wants the best out of everybody, including himself. And he's doing the things he's supposed to do to put himself in that situation. I think, if any, I would say that he probably really attributes some of his consistency to working for that coach. Right. So, I mean, he's not won one Super Bowl. He's won two. Yeah. So when so he, he not. Yeah, so when he when he was able to win that first one, did you did you know him? Were you able to kind of talk with him through his second preparation for the next Super Bowl? Like, I wonder what that would feel like and kind of be inside his brain. Did he want to show up as consistently as he did before to win that Super Bowl or was he did he kind of bring an extra energy, a different approach? Like what what was that like? Or did he share any of that with you? Yeah, I, I saw him, we saw and some other coaching colleagues, we saw each other at the combine right after that. And the first thing we joked about was, you know, now that you got your ring, you know, are things different and that kind of thing, going right. back and forth. Um, but I, I'll say this, they won and then maybe they won, I don't know, four years later, within three years, they won the second one. But neither time were they the favorite and neither time were they expected to win, right? So right. it's kind of this thing where I don't see him, I didn't see him changing. If anything, I think he was more hungry to make sure, because a lot of times teams that win, they take a giant step back. Right. The NFL especially, part of that's physical because you play more games and you're more beat up. Uh, part of it is when you win, other programs and organizations come to your organization to try to pull players and coaches away. Yeah. So it's common for teams to take a step back, but I think they were very motivated to stay 
competitive. So I don't think he had any kind of step back or relaxation. It was more of, yeah, we did it. We want to go try to go do it again, and we want to keep ourselves competitive, and we have a great group here. Let's make the most of it. Yeah, I think that that's so important in life in any aspect, but I think that it's so beautifully done in athletics, and it's probably because I'm, I'm you know, in kind of an athletic field, so I, sure. no, I notice it in that way. But um, when I notice, you know, coaches that have that amount of, of accomplishments, I, I am more attached to those coaches that stay humble and stay driven. Um, sure. And, you know, with your accomplishments, with your accolades, with, you know, all the teams that you've worked with, what I, you know, and I told you this before, you have this humbleness of your voice that I, I'm very, like, just drawn to. I think that you're such a great storyteller. Can you, like, can you expand a little bit about what has kept you humble and driven? And was it more about your your um, your mom or was it, you know, your mentors? Was it your kids? Like, what was that for you? I think there's a couple, thank you, first off, for your compliments. Um, I think there's a couple things that are really important for me. One of them is the opportunity to impact others. It's so, like, being in the NFL, for example, we start the season with 100 guys. You end up with about 46 that actually play, so, so about half your roster. Um, and those guys are 23, 24, 25. They're young men really just stepping out of their, you know, you, you go from your parents' house to a college for three or four years, and then you're in the NFL. So they're such a unique group, and they are the product. They're the, you know, they're the face of the franchise, and your job is to make them better. Your job is for them to come into your organization and hope they leave better than they came in. Those opportunities are precious, and I think the same opportunity that exists when I sit down with a new client and I get to expand their horizon about what their body can do and how that will uh, pour into the rest of their lives. Um, so that's really important to me, the, the opportunity. My parents both were educated and very uh, hard workers. They both had great work ethic. Like I said, my mom was a <clears throat> ER nurse and she worked 12-hour shifts. My dad actually worked for himself out of our house, and he also would work in the community and other, so he basically sometimes had, there's times he'd have three jobs at once. Um, if I don't get anything else out of my parents, I definitely got the importance of work ethic and how we can't complain and worry and be upset if things don't go our way if we don't put in the work that we're capable of putting in. And that's always stayed with me, and it's really important because if I look at fitness, right, if I say I want to lose body fat or I want to gain muscle, but I'm not willing to make time on my schedule to do it, and I'm hoping that it happens, you know, we're fooling ourselves. I think the same thing in life. Um, we want something to happen. The part we can control is our contribution to it. And so um, just always knowing there's more work to be done, always knowing that there's somebody else who knows it better, right? So there's always someone else for me to learn from. Even we talked earlier about the, the um, audio books. Right. The David Goggins of the world. Like, there's always something else out there. Somebody that went through something harder and someone someone that rose from the ashes to, to claim victory in life. So I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm, I, I am that kind of person where I'm never satisfied with what's going on. And I always want to keep striving for the next step. And, and so that mindset helps me to keep going. Yeah, that that nobody cares work harder mentality is like is is what I feel like I always kind of keep in my mindset. Um, and then kind of back to what you were saying too, I feel like it's, um, 
heavy the head is the one that wears the crown or something like that. Sure. That kind of like sure. the the understanding of you under you have to understand the power that you're holding when you're changing somebody's life. You're literally changing someone's life. The things that they eat, the thing the way that they move, the way that they interact with people, the way that you know, literally every step. But I, you know, I, and I have some similarities too. That's interesting because my mom was a, a neonatal nurse practitioner growing up as well. So she busted her butt, her butt. Um, but she always, you know, I always kind of observed her, I would say, fixing each other, you know, fixing other people's crowns, if you will. So like what I mean by that is always kind of like she always shed light on people's like, like specialty she made them kind of like light up a little bit she always kind of like brought the light in the room but shared it with people and so like yeah. I always think that's so important to allow somebody else to shine but never think that it's stealing kind of like your glory it's just that you know there's room for everybody I feel like um so that's kind of where like you know you, you should be able to stay humble because just because someone else is gifted doesn't take any way of like what your life is meant to unfold and be like um exactly and you know and your your life is what you get out of it so i love that quote that you just said too because it's like you know um you can't expect to you know get to places that you didn't work for like that just that's you know um that's a whole nother conversation but um what do you feel like um if you had to give one piece of advice to your younger self um what would you what would you think it would be i'll definitely say to relax and enjoy the journey mm-hmm. um i definitely think so i'll use coaching for example so for 14 straight years non-stop and every time i left a job it was for a promotion at a better job it was never like so it's like d2 sports to d1 sports to pro sports so that 14 years i don't know that i always took took in like sometimes i'll Especially the University of Colorado, but I, I had a very diverse group. I had the cross country program, which was a national champion twice um, in about a four, five year span. I had the football program, which we had several guys went to the NFL, um, and I had the basketball program on the men's side. And in those groups of people, now they're you know that was 2003, 2007. So that's you know a good amount of years later. Those people are professionals now, and they're their fathers and their you know wives, and and so when they reach out, I sometimes forget about how impactful that job was mm-hmm. to have before I got my first full time NFL job because I had not only did I have some responsibility, but I had a lot of good people around me. And these young people that come in, they're looking to you for guidance, and you have to be on point because uh, they're not going to respect you if you're not. And you have to also, I have some unique opportunities to have some interaction with a lot of them, um, not just on sports. And it was good because you got to see the, the like kind of what we're doing right now. The right. human behind the, the national championship ring or the number 15 jersey, you got to know who they were. Um, so I'd say looking back now, I probably didn't take in how special those opportunities were. Um, and I would want to just take a deeper breath and enjoy those journeys, enjoy some of those, those relationships, even expand on them or explore them more when I was in the midst of them instead of 10 years later. But, uh, yeah, enjoy the journey. Really important. Yeah, enjoying the process and the progress just as much as the result because it's interesting that 
most of the time I feel like we're so in in focus what's the result going to be when am I going to get to the result when am I going to get to the winning part and then you miss like the camaraderie or you miss the milestones or you don't celebrate those things or you don't just reminisce in those moments where you're like man I'm really connecting with you know individuals um etc like just moments things like that where that's what you end up remembering you don't necessarily remember like for instance, if you won a Super Bowl, yeah, you remember that day. You remember that moment. Um, you remember the cel- celebratory senses. But what kind of really probably stuck with you was the day in and the day out grind of the of the practices and the moments where you didn't want to, and then you know you did anyway because of what you know your fellow athletes were were saying or things that your coach said that like really dug you out. Um, th- those moments for me are like that's what it's about, you know. Um, so if you were, yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say a lot of people from the locker room, uh, will talk about the fact that, like you said, the wins and losses are impactful because they have so many, they, they cascade into other things like your next contract, your reputation, your legacy, or your paycheck. But guys always talk about missing the locker room camaraderie. Yeah. And the camaraderie doesn't necessarily mean you're sitting in the locker room together having fun. It means the shared mentality of work that you put in on the practice field and on game day and knowing at the end of that day you know when the game's over everybody can look at each other in the eye and know that hey man we put our best out there yeah and it is what it is that can't be really replicated any other way i know i think men and the men and women in the military talk about that a little bit yep why so many will re-enlist or so many try to work closely with the military when they get out because it's just so hard to find that kind of tribe mentality yeah. where everybody's on the same page, and it's, it's something that is just is so unique. And like you said, being an athlete yourself, you know how that's just a different feeling than any other thing you do. Yeah, that, that, that saying of just like, these are your best days. Like, realize yeah. in the moment. Like, stop looking so far forward that you miss the present. Being, being that gift, it's really a present, you know? Um, and I think that that, you know, that leads me perfectly into my next question for you, which is like, you know, I, I feel like uh, losing your failures, like all of those things are such better teachers um, than the wins. And so over your lifetime and over all of your experience, what are th- three truths and three takeaways that you've really learned over your lifetime? You know, one of them is integrity. Um, doing things for the right reason all the time. Um, Because at the end of the day, you look yourself in the mirror, and if you're happy with yourself and and who you have put yourself out there to be, um, not being duplicitous. So I think um, having a high level level of integrity, I think about programming, for example, like we talked about earlier. When someone comes to you, if you have, once you get the understanding of how they move and what they need, like you can't, I can't cookie cutter ever. I have to right. do what's best for the client because I know not only is it the right thing from from an integrity standpoint, it's also the right thing for them and what they're looking for, they're trusting you for. So integrity is big. Uh, consistency is important. Uh, just being who you are and living in it and you know being reliable in that regard is really important to show up at work, for example, and be the person you're supposed to be, the best you can be all the time and that's where reputations are built um humility is the third one um this one is something i think our culture has <laughs> kind of fought away from but 
everything, you know, you, you hear these cliches or these memes about if you're the smartest person in your circle, you're in the wrong circle, right? Like right. you're not. <laughs> you want to make sure you have some of the people around you that can talk you. I think that's so important to recognize that no matter how good you are, something there's always someone who's probably better, more than better. They are more knowledgeable, more experienced, have more wisdom. Right. And being open to learning, being open to progressing yourself, never, like I said earlier, never being satisfied and letting that push me into opportunities and decisions to take that next step, not being satisfied, being the same person. So these kind of opportunities, say, going from a, a, a sports team to a private sector and learning everything that goes by in lifetime, for example, and how they do business differently than other places I've been, you know, that that's a step in the right direction, but it's also humbling because it's like, yeah, you have all the experiences I'm putting on the table, if there's also a process here that you need to learn to make the most of the opportunity. So right. humility is a big one. Stay curious, stay humble. I think that that's, that's crucial for, for what we do because no one knows everything. Sure. Um, so if you were to look at a very long time from now and it's your last day on earth and you were you know, sitting there trying to listen to all of your work kind of like spoken back to you, what would you want to hear um, how your life was well spent? Like, what would you want your legacy to be? What would you want to be remembered for? I think the biggest thing is, is just positively impacting people's lives. Um, I think it's in a celebrity-driven culture that we kind of live in, I think it's really easy for the, the superficial or the symptomatic stuff to uh, stand out about people, and then you're, you're like, okay, but what else is there? Right. Um, when people are in your presence and you have an opportunity to make an impact, whether it's somebody you get for two sessions as a trainer or somebody you train for two years, you want them to leave. I want people to leave uh, feeling like I had a positive impact on their life. And it's something that we did together, help them take another step towards whatever it is they're trying to get to above and beyond exercise. Like right. if you feel better about yourself and you feel more confident and you go in and get that job that changes your family's life because five months ago you made a commitment to exercise three days a week right. and when you exercise you all these side conversations and these side benefits helps you become that person you want to be to get that job and take care of your family like that kind of thing can be minimalized but it's really important like sometimes people come to us and they have no one else to listen to them or they have this huge load on their back and they don't have anybody to get things off their chest to that will listen and not you know not take advantage of it and so as a trainer coach definitely embracing that hey i can be this in that role for people which is great because i can handle that and i can give it back to them in a positive way where and help them just navigate it that's really important to me the simplicity of making someone feel seen and heard is one of the most impactful things i think that we get the honor of doing so that's just been such a, a, a joy of, of this career. Um, and speaking of that, Vernon, your time is so valuable. I know it's the one thing that we do not get back. So I really appreciate your time today. You were an absolute joy to spend um, on this podcast with. Vernon, do you want to leave anybody with anything else today? Yeah, I'll say, well, first off, thank you. And I'll say training for, for me is about empowering you. And so if you have the opportunity to work together, it's about you and about helping you take that next step. And we're gonna pour into you so you can pour into someone else. Yes.
fill each other's cups up that's for sure and and that's wonderful Vernon, thank you so much. We're going to make sure to include all of your social um, in the details so that people can follow up with you. And one more time, where are you located? I'm in Biltmore, Arizona, which is near Phoenix. And Biltmore Lifetime is my place of business. Okay, guys. So if y'all are in Biltmore, definitely make sure to connect with Vernon. Um, You guys, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, where coaches are humans too. I appreciate every human and their journey, and I hope to continue to connect and shed light on how uniquely beautiful we all are. Our differences are what make us unique, but it's our humanity that brings us together. Stay healthy, my friends. This is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Thank you so much again for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We are broadcasting on anywhere you can find other podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and of course, Anchor, where we're recording this podcast now. If you really loved it, which I'm sure you did, we would appreciate a five-star review and a share with all of your friends. Until next time, this is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Stay healthy, my friends.